Girlfriends, episode number 121, The Art of Giving Birth with Mary Hazeltine. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, I'm sharing a recent conversation I had with Mary Hazeltine, wife, mom, doula, childbirth educator, and now new author with a new book out about the art of giving birth for Catholic women. I know you're going to love her. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Thanks for being here. I'm glad you're joining me for another episode of the Girlfriends podcast. I'm always glad when you're able to spend some time with me here. So how's your week going? How was your weekend? Here in uh, tick-infested New Hampshire, spring is in full force. Finally, we've been enjoying some beautiful weather and some not-so-beautiful ticks. Do you get ticks in your area of the country? I truly, truly detest these things. I don't know what God was thinking. I know what he was thinking. He was thinking Adam and Eve ate the apples. So ticks. <laughs> They're really a horrible thing. They're so bad. And our dogs bring them in. They, I find them on the kids. Uh, three of my kids have had Lyme disease. Both of my dogs have had Lyme disease. It's serious business. And I used to actually spend a lot of time being really concerned about Lyme disease. And it is a serious illness. And I know people who've suffered debilitating effects from having had Lyme disease go undiagnosed for a long time. Um, and I used to really struggle with this, this idea that how do we get away from it? Because there are ticks everywhere and you can do take all the precautions and you're still going to get ticks. And this is something that I, as weird as it is to think about, this is a place where I've made some progress in my motherhood, at least in the spiritual side of learning to trust God more. I felt like it was something I should be able to control the ticks and the Lyme disease. And um, of course, we take precautions, but there's only so much you can do and the ticks are still going to be there. So sorry for the gross conversation. And it's about to get grosser because we're not just dealing with ticks. Before we get to uh, the great conversation that I had with author Mary Hazeltine recently, I know you're going to enjoy it. And it's such Oh my gosh, we love our birth stories, don't we, ladies? <laughs> we love to hear about other people's birth stories. We love to share our own. This is a way we truly connect as women. So I'm so excited for her new book out that's specifically a childbirth guide for Catholic women. Anyway, I know you're going to love that conversation, but you have to survive a couple more gross stories before we get there. Sorry, this is my life and I need to share it. So I need to tell you about the mice. Yeah, we get mouse problems, you know, usually in the fall when I guess mice are looking for a warm place to spend the winter. And we had the problems this last fall. And I guess, I guess the problem is we never fully got it under control. Yeah, I'd regularly either see evidence of mice or um, a kid would, or occasionally we'd actually find a mouse, see a mouse. And we would regularly set out traps, but um, it seemed like they just were they probably were having babies like once a week or something. I don't know. Anyway, the, the mouse problem just felt like it, it did feel like it got under control during the winter, but it never fully got resolved. And then it picked up again this spring in a way that was so disturbing to me. I was like, Dan, we have to do something. And so I went to the hardware store and said, you know, what can I use besides regular traps? And those of you who have experience with mice living in the country or whatever, tell me, tell me what we're supposed to do. Because this woman at the hardware store um, gave him this poison that supposedly is safe to have in a house with children and pets. And yet mice eat it and they die. And at first Dan was like, that's a really bad idea because we don't want dead mice 
in our house. <laughs> we want we want to remove them. Um, but this woman said, oh, no, this poison makes them so thirsty. They get outside any way they can to try to find a source of water and they die outside. So don't worry, you're not going to have dead mice in your house. Well, lady at the hardware store was completely wrong because <laughs> we had at least one dead mouse that I believe was inside a wall or something. We couldn't locate the source of this smell. And it lasted a good, I don't know, probably five days before it dissipated. And I think we're okay now. I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not like in those Febreze commercials where you're desensitized to the smell, you know, and your, your car actually smells like a giant sweat sock or whatever. I'm hoping that's not the case. And in our house, um, if you live locally, come on by, give it a whiff. Let me know if we still have a dead mouse problem. Anyway, I think the poison did, for the most part, control um, our mouse population that we had here in the house, except for... And this is something that happened just yesterday. And I have to share the story because it weighs heavily upon me. And I'm sorry if you're if you're squeamish about these things, go ahead and fast forward. I just I have to, I'm sorry. I have to unburden myself. I have this in in my mind and in my heart, and I have to share the story. So this is terrible. A couple of weeks ago, I want to say it was two weeks ago, I couldn't find my olive oil. I, I buy it in a large plastic bottle. And I thought that's ridiculous. Like I always keep it in the pantry and it was just gone. And I knew I hadn't used it all. And then I, and I knew there was enough in there that someone else wouldn't have used it up and thrown it out. And I don't think anybody else even cooks with it or whatever. Anyway, I thought it was very weird. It's one of those things. Like if you live family life, you know, these kinds of things just happen sometimes. It's inexplicable, drives you insane. And then you just move on. Right. Like, like I told you about losing the mop, right. A couple of episodes ago. Well, this was like that. I was like, okay, I can't find the olive oil. I guess I'm just going to buy a new container and use that. So that's what I did. And um, then yesterday I gave Danny, my youngest, the task of cleaning out and organizing the pantry, something that needs to be done on a regular basis, frankly, needs to be done a lot more often than we ever do it. But anyway, in the course of cleaning out the pantry, poor Danny, I know you're anticipating, you're cringing, just thinking about what I'm about to tell you. He found way in the back of one of the shelves, my long lost olive oil container. And the cap of it was off and it was on its side. So he pulled it out of there and there was a mouse inside, inside of it. Okay, so then he calls me over in a panic and like all like having a major shivers attack, right? Of the grossness of the situation. <laughs> it tells me there's a mouse in the olive oil container. So I go to pick it up and it was alive. There was a live mouse in this olive oil container, completely covered with oil. And it had its little paws and on the, on the plastic side of the jar and was facing toward me. It was like standing up in there. I realized it was breathing and I, I almost died. I mean, I almost died. There was like a quarter of the bottle still in there. So it didn't cover the mouse's head so he could still breathe, but he obviously had been drenched in this stuff. And um, if you're familiar with the way like an olive oil container is, it's it's designed for like pouring oil at the top, right? So you could see like um, how it could be squeezy, like a mouse could squeeze to get inside of it, but then it's designed so that there's no possible way it can get out of it. And that's what happened to this little creature. I, I was so horrified. I can't even tell you. <laughs> so horrified at this mouse in this horrible predicament. I mean, it was so terrible. But at the same time, I felt terrible for this little creature 
that was in my olive oil bottle. And so I did what any sane woman does in this situation. I brought it immediately to my husband's attention, <laughs> handed him the bottle, and um, that was it. In fact, I assumed that he would um, take it outside and put it out of its misery because I thought there's no way this little guy's going to make it or whatever. And um, but that apparently isn't what he did. I stayed in the house. I didn't witness any of this. He took it outside and cut the top off the bottle and let it go. And it did kind of run away. So <laughs> I don't know the fate of the mouse. I don't know if he, they're able to clean themselves up. I don't know if an owl got an especially tasty and, and decadent morsel that night. Uh, I guess I'm hoping he made it. I guess I'm hoping he's okay, even though he never should have been in our house. He certainly shouldn't have been in my pantry. And absolutely, he should not have been in my bottle of olive oil. This is disgusting. <laughs> anyway, like I said, I had to share that story with you. And I hope you have some of my stories too that maybe are equally gross that you can share back and return the favor. Make me feel like I'm not so alone in this battle against the mice. I'm going insane. Anyway, like I said, hopefully that's the last of the mice um, and I won't find any more in compromised situations in my pantry or otherwise. But I had to share that with you. It's such an awful awful story. <laughs> I could not. I could not, girlfriends, keep that one to myself. So hope you appreciate it. Hope you'll give me your feedback and let me know about the mice in your life. And actually, I would love to hear if you have some tips for ways to keep them out of the house, to get them out of the house, to make sure they never come back into the house. That would be excellent. So solicitation for mouse stories. But on to the whole point of this show, the topic of this show is childbirth. This is something we love to share about, something we love to talk about. So I was thrilled when this new book came out from our Sunday Visitor by Mary Hazeltine. And then I was even more thrilled when I had a conversation with her. And she's just wonderful. And she's such a smart lady and so sensitive. And this is what I think is important, is there are plenty of childbirth books out there, right, that will tell you all the ways to do it wrong that will hit you over the head with their rules and regulations and the right way to do things, the even implied Catholic way to do things when there is no such thing. N no teaching in the church tells you that you have to give birth in a particular way. Okay. That's just not out there. So I'm thrilled to find a book that doesn't burden women with that kind of politicizing of something that should never be a political issue, which is giving birth, which is the womanly process of giving birth. But the book also touches on miscarriage and other related issues that uh, speak to the heart of Catholic women from all walks of life, all different experiences. It really is a wonderful book. And I know you're going to enjoy my conversation that I had with Mary Hazeltine. Take a listen. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to welcome a special guest here today on Girlfriends. Mary Hazeltine is joining us for a conversation about women and childbirth. Mary is a theology graduate and a certified doula and birth educator with a passion for building a culture of life through the teachings of Theology of the Body. She works to bring awareness and practice of the teachings of the church into the realm of childbirth, mothering, and pregnancy loss. She lives in Western New York with her husband and five sons. Mary's new book is Made for This, The Catholic Mom's Guide to Birth, available from Our Sunday Visitor. And you can find out more about Mary Hazeltine at betterthaneden.com. Welcome, Mary. I'm so glad you're able to join me today. 
Hi, Danielle. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you. You know, I received a review copy of your book. Is it available now? Is it uh, shipping from Amazon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazon or our Sunday visitor. Great. It's right away. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. Is this your first book? Yes. And probably only. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a little a little more of a project than you thought going in? It was nothing ever. I, I never, ever planned on doing something like this. So it's it's been a huge learning experience. And I think I need to take a breather before making any decisions. I the, hear you. Yeah. OK, well, maybe um, to get us started just a little bit, we found out a little bit about you and your background in your bio. Obviously, you have a real passion for the needs of women inside of the church and um, a, a real gift for the art of childbirth and, and knowledge about it, which definitely comes across in this book. But Maybe you can talk about how this book came to be. Was it something that was on your heart and your mind or did they come to you? Um, This was something that, gosh, I think after I had my first baby, it was something that I saw the need for, for Mm -hmm. a long time. um, And it just wasn't out there anywhere. So I, uh, I never planned on being the one to write it. I didn't think I was qualified or anything like that, but, um, but yeah, just a couple years ago, the, the, the idea was presented to me by another person and um, it just grew in, in my heart to maybe I'm supposed to do this. And God made it really clear that that it was something that was needed. And it, there hasn't been anything like this um, for Catholic women, women before that just kind of takes birth from a real comprehensive perspective, from mm-hmm. a physical mental, emotional, and spiritual perspective. And we certainly have a lot of babies. So it was something (laughs) that kind of needed to be talked about, I thought. Right. I totally agree. And like I told you off air before we started chatting here, uh, I couldn't believe, you know, after I got the book and I read through it and I thoroughly appreciated everything about it, especially how comprehensive and um, from many different perspectives it is, that that this didn't already exist. Like this is a major oversight for, you're right, the the number of babies we Catholic women are having. Um, we needed this manual. Yeah, we and we talk about birth all the time. We love to share our birth stories and, and it's such an integral part of, of womanhood and who we are. So it's, um, and especially in the light of our faith and the church and the teachings on how integrated we are as body and soul, it's something that's that there's been a need for. And I've been hearing that from a lot of women, which has been really reassuring that they, they're so glad this is here. They can't believe it hasn't been around yet. And, right. and that's, that's been nice to hear. Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm so glad it exists. And like I said, it really is a, a comprehensive approach to um, the, the various experiences that women have in their childbearing years. Every, you know, everything from um, miscarriage to cesarean sections to natural birth. It really, it covers many different perspectives. And that's really something that I, I appreciated about your approach, Mary, was um, the fact that there have been other books that have sort of been de facto in my own experience, in my communities, in my Catholic communities, considered like the Catholic mom's guide to birth. But they really are limited, I felt, in their perspective and left some women on the sidelines, as far as I could tell. And even some of my own experience didn't seem to line up and that it and I didn't feel like everybody was kind of included. They were a little bit one sided. And uh, childbirth, for sure, is something that can even get political in some circles, Uh, as I'm sure, you know, living and working in it and writing about it as you do. But I did want to tell you that. And I want to make sure listeners understand that this this book isn't a one size fits all. It really is a comprehensive volume that's meant to support women from all different walks of life. Maybe you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, it was really important to me to acknowledge the fact that 
um, the Lord wants to work in each unique woman's situation and in, in each woman's unique birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and each woman's situation is very different and, and nobody can judge another person's situation or, or circumstances except her and, um, and her husband and, and in prayer with God. So, mm-hmm. um, it was important for me that, that that be respected throughout the book and, um, so we talk about the design of birth, how God created birth to work, but also about like when complications do arise, what, what happens and how can we see God in that? And how can a woman who is undergoing some of those complications or, um, different decisions that, that might be made in birth, how she can still bring God into that experience and how he still blesses that. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, that was important to me to make sure it was, um, it reflected as many experiences as I could as I could get into, into the book. Right. And you do incorporate over 40 women's stories are included in the book. How did you go through that process of selecting which stories to include? (laughs) Um, yeah, that was, that was important to me too, that the book just not just be my own experience, one woman's, you know, experience Mm -hmm. of birth. And cause I feel like that would be pretty easy to, to write off, but, um, yeah, I, I got 40 women. Um, some of them were, um, doula clients of mine. Some were just friends. Some were people I know online. Some were other bloggers and writers. So I got um, a vast a vast array of experiences, but all of them have a beautiful witness to the beauty of birth or um, sometimes the trials of birth or what God showed them through their births, um, whether good or bad um, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really important to me that, that I include real voices of real Catholic women throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of my favorite parts of it. Cause there's, there's little snippets throughout the, the book. And then at the end, there's, um, one of the last chapters is nine different full birth stories from different, different moms that I think are just so beautiful to read. And we love those birth stories, don't we? We love to we share do. them and we love to read them. What do you think is behind that? Oh, I, well, birth is so central to who we are as women. It's so personal and it's something that God has written in our hearts. We're all meant to be you know, we're all called to motherhood, whether that's spiritual or physical. And, mm-hmm. and there's something about those stories that I feel like it's ingrained on us to want to so, sort of share it in a safe, in a safe setting. We don't yes. always want to share it everywhere, but, but if we feel safe, women kind of naturally share those stories. Um, and we love hearing about them because that's how we learn for our own births. And that's how we just connect with other women in that, that experience of motherhood. It's something so intimate and raw and beautiful and, um, sometimes scary and emotional. And, mm-hmm. and it's how we can connect with, with other mothers and women. And, um, yeah, I think it's, I think that's not something to be afraid of, but something to embrace and, and share in a proper setting. It's, it's a good and beautiful thing. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I, you know, I can get addicted to these birth stories <laughs> back when <laughs> blogging was more of a thing. Uh, you know, frequently bloggers that I, I felt that I, I really did know and love and would follow their stories. I, I would just love to read every detail of how, how their, their new little one came, came into the light. And um, <laughs> I just found that those were so inspiring and beautiful. And I think you're onto something. There, talking about the ways in which we're connecting with one another in a deeply intimate and personal way, but also kind of the foundation of our our femininity and our womanhood. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely see that, and um, I, I I do feel like I experienced some of that. Maybe you can talk a little bit about birth as an empowering experience for women, because I know that I experienced that not every woman does experience that for sure. And I was blessed to have a pretty uncomplicated labor and delivery, especially with my first one. 
Um, but I, I was surprised by that element of birth. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that, that it was like the first time I ever felt like, oh, I, I was made for this. Like, this is a hard thing. This is a thing that requires a lot of strength. But I somehow felt, you know, in my very core that this was something I was built for. Yeah, that that's, I think God designed it that way. I think he wanted women to be empowered by birth. And I know that that word can sometimes. Oh, it's corny, but I, that, I thoroughly <laughs> embrace it when we're talking about it birth. Does. Honestly, no other word fits. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't, I can't think of any other word because it, it, you just feel so strengthened by after, after birth, if it's, if it's a good birth, if it's an empowering birth and, and her and the woman's role has been respected and she's been treated well and the baby's been treated well. And, and there were no traumatic situations, obviously Mm -hmm. in a normal situation, birth is meant to be something that, that kind of strengthens us in our motherhood and gives us confidence that we can do these really, really hard things. Cause I mean, for most of us, birth is one of the hardest physical things we ever go through. But then when you go through that, like, and you, conquer it and you do it and you get this beautiful gift at the end. And it's, Oh, it's just so it is, it's empowering. You feel like I was meant to do this. I was meant to be this baby's mother and I can do this and God is with me and we can do all things. Right. (laughs) No, I totally agree. And I, I kind of see God's plan in that, like a shot in the arm right at the start of your motherhood, you know, that, um, we do need that. But as you mentioned, it doesn't always go that way. And um, sometimes there are complications. Sometimes there are things you never anticipated. Sometimes you can have a beautiful birth plan all laid out and none of it goes the way that you wanted it to. And I know some women that, um, you know, I love very much and I've seen them suffer a lot when their births didn't go the way they wanted them to. They, they suffer with a great sense of disappointment, even almost a mourning for the birth experience they didn't have. What's been your experience with that? And how can we minister to women like that? Yeah, that's, there's definitely a reality to that and a reality of like a trauma that can happen during birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's whether it's through nobody's fault, you know, sometimes things do just arise, complications happen. Um, but in, Or sometimes it's because of the way she was treated during birth. Um, there are very real situations where, where women walk away from birth feeling what we call birth trauma or, um, mm-hmm. or just they don't have that wonderful experience that we've both been, been blessed to have. Um, and it's so important to just acknowledge that. I mean, that's the first step is just realizing that that's real, that's real and it's, um, it's worthy of being discussed and we shouldn't just brush women's experiences under the rug because, you know, at least your baby's healthy. I hate that phrase. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Because also the flip side of that, what does that say to women whose babies aren't healthy? You know, yeah, like... exactly. Yeah. That's one part. And also, yeah, like, okay, your baby's healthy if they are healthy, first of all, right. We hope that they are, but even if they're healthy, like it's really dismissive of a woman's experience and mm-hmm. it kind of just says to her, well, as long as, as nobody's dead, right? Like, right. Then it doesn't matter what you've gone through. You, you so, have no right to complain about anything ever. Cause exactly. you, you I think our standards baby. need to be a little bit higher as, as, as a church and as a people and, and building a culture of life, we can kind of aim for a little higher than, than at least the baby and you are alive. <laughs> Absolutely. So. And, and maybe you could speak a little bit to, I know I experienced this as a young mom, but you know, all surrounding birth, we are just like a hormonal haze, you know, and that, can, <laughs> that can come with a unique set of challenges, especially when you're taking on, you know, a, recovering from birth, healing after birth and, and coming to terms with how the birth went, especially if it didn't go the way you wanted it to. Um, you know, so there are all kinds of complications that can happen just on a hormonal level and, just deep, deep troubling emotions that a woman can experience at that time. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is a very sensitive time, both before and after birth. And 
I think we need to do a lot better as a community and a church in, in respecting that time and giving women space in that time and recognizing what's normal and what's not. And, um, yeah, acknowledging what a, what a sensitive time that is. Cause it, it really is, um, a powerful time and the way we respond to it can be, um, really empowering for women and helpful and, and help them embrace their motherhood and work through, you know, any complications or problems or issues she might be having, or it can do the opposite. Um, and we need to, I think we need to do a better job of acknowledging how important those moments before birth, during birth and after birth really are. Right. I mean, do you have, maybe this is too lofty a question, but I wonder if you have an idea of what that could look like as a church being more supportive of that kind of transition phase inside of family life. Oh, <laughs> that is, yeah, that's a tough one. I think I would love to see more Catholic doulas. Um, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> one of the things I do is, is before, you know, I meet with women before their births and we go over, you know, we talk a lot about their emotions and what their plans are for the birth. And then I'm with them all through the birth and then I'm, I meet with them after to process how it went. And, mm-hmm. um, I, being able to do that from a Catholic perspective, at least for my Catholic clients is, is really helpful. Um, I think, you know, parishes can do a lot to support moms in this time, you know, having, I don't have, you know, programs laid out, but I think, no. you know, we definitely need more support from um, other mothers or the community to be bringing meals and, um, you know, kind of reclaiming that sense of community that's kind of been lost uh, in, over the last few decades of we're kind of all on our own right now, it feels like in many mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just kind of recognizing that the sacredness of that postpartum time um, and honoring that. And if we're going to build a culture of life, we have to respect that that's that brings babies along with it. And that's, uh, and we've got to honor that for women. And, um, yeah, so whether it's through programs or whether it's through grassroots, you know, friends just gathering around right. to, to celebrate the birth of a baby and providing cleaning and meals and, and just, or just emotional support, just sitting with a mom who's, who's needs some help or needs a nap or whatever it is. Right. Um, we need to get better at that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I I think you're onto something when you're talking about how we're more alone than ever. I think many women who are are mothers who stay home with small children experience that kind of isolation. But this is another area where um, a woman could potentially feel truly isolated and alone. I mean, I know certainly in even in my experience, um, you know, you go home from the hospital within a couple of days, um, if you did have a hospital birth, and, you know, husband's back at work in less than a week, and here you are, like, and if you don't, if you're not surrounded by, you know, family and friends, like back in the day, when communities were built that way, it can be a really trying time to really adjust to and um, a, a time when you're uniquely vulnerable to things like postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely a correlation between that and that isolation and feeling, you know, your husband or having to go back to work right away and being on your own, especially with other little children to take care of and postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Cause if you're on your own trying to deal with all this stuff, it's, it's hard. And yeah, we need to, we need to recognize that and try to respond the best ways that we can. Right. Yeah. And you know, one other area that I'm so glad your book covers is pregnancy loss and miscarriage. This is such a big topic that I think as a church, we need to talk about more, especially a church that encourages its families to be open to life. 
this is just going to happen a lot more to Catholic women who are following the teachings of the church than it happens to the average woman. Um, so I'm so you know glad and grateful that your book includes the topic of miscarriage. But maybe you could talk a little bit about what what do you think is the unique role that women have that we can play for one another when it comes to supporting and helping one another to heal after a loss? Oh, way that other women can help. Yeah, definitely being that being that listening ear and mm -hmm. responding, um, either being with them during the miscarriage or throughout it, you know, either on the phone or email or, or available if they have any questions and need help. Um, being, you know, talking about their baby, I think for most women is really helpful being able to, to acknowledge that this is a very real loss of a very real child. Mm -hmm. Um, cause a lot of the rest of the world doesn't, doesn't always acknowledge that. And if, if we as Catholics believe that life begins at conception, that we, then we need to act like it does. Um, right. so yeah, so being with friends during that, you know, if, if you do find out, find out that someone, you know, has had um, a miscarriage or a loss like that, bring them flowers or bring them dinner or act like, you know, this is a very real loss for their family. Try to remember the anniversary if you can and encourage them with what some of their options might be, because most women in, in the midst of it, you're in shock, you're in grief. You don't even realize, you know, what your options might be. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of times women regret, um, some of the decisions they make during a miscarriage or a loss because they don't even know what their options are or mm -hmm. what they can ask for during that time. So if you have a friend and you know, like, Oh, Oh, you can ask your priest for a funeral and for a burial. If you have the remains, like that's a really beautiful thing to offer to a friend who might not be thinking about that during, in the middle of it. Sure. Um, so yeah, so just, give gently, of course, give her information and love and just be there for her and reach out to her and, um, in any way that, that she might need. I think it's just, it's so important to acknowledge that these little, these little human beings are real and they, they grieve a mother's heart and a father's heart when, when they're lost. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I that's why I was so glad to see it included, because like I said, I think that it, it sometimes gets brushed over and sometimes people are inclined to hide this loss. Um, they don't want to call attention to themselves or they think, oh, I was only, you know, so many weeks along or whatever. And, and yet these things, they, they matter and they count. And I'm so glad you mentioned dads, because I do have a question about dads and their role in in birth. Um, you know, this is something our culture's kind of gone back and forth. Like, you know, way back in time, you know, the woman would be among other women when she's giving birth. And then we've kind of graduated to a place where they're not locked outside the nursery anymore, right? <laughs> um, right. And and men have been invited in. What, what do you see as the role that a man should play during childbirth? Oh, I love to see a father really involved in a birth. Mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful. And I, I love my, my man, John Paul II. He's one of my favorites, but he actually encouraged when he was Pope, he encouraged fathers to be a part of birth if possible. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is, it's the culmination of their sacrament, right? They, you know, we come together as husband and wife. And when it's, when it results in a new life, that is supposed to culminate in birth. So it's a really beautiful thing when that, when that father can be there and helping his, his child come into the world. Right. In whatever way that means for their, that, you know, that particular relationship, it's going to look different for each husband and wife. But mm -hmm. if he can kind of step up and, uh, and be there in the room and be supportive and whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally, or just being there to hold a hand, you know, every, every yeah. relationship's different, but, but it's so beautiful to kind of see that where that, 
if we talk theologically, where that two becoming one is met face to face, like that little person is the, right. is the result of their love. Like, so <laughs> it's awesome when he can be there to, to see that and have that moment too. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's beautiful. And that's a beautiful way to look at it. I hadn't previously looked at it that way. And, um, I, I do find that some people have conflicted feelings about it. Like I know for me, for example, my husband, so anxiety ridden about medical situations that I would sometimes roll my eyes and be like, he's going to be, you know, more of a hindrance than a help when it comes to this birth process. <laughs> and, and, you know, I have to admit there certainly, you know, um, there, I've had certain nurses that I absolutely loved and I can see that like womanly art of helping someone through childbirth and just their touch and their way of talking to me was just so helpful to me in that time. And I don't think any man can do that. You know, I think that really is a womanly mm -hmm. gift. Um, but at the same time, I think I definitely experienced because I, I, I had eight births. Um, and for the last one, my husband was not present because he was sick and I ended up sending him away because he was so sick in the hospital <laughs> that, and I said, I'll call you back when it's close. Of course it got real close real fast. And I didn't call him back and he missed by like 20, minutes. But it was really an eye-opening experience for me because I realized I really needed him there. You know, I was kind yeah. of dismissive of his presence there. And yet I didn't truly value him just being there, you know, just yeah. and, and playing that manly role as a protector, because you're never more vulnerable than when you're giving oh, birth. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. One of go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say that it's a real opportunity for, you know, we're, we're, we're practicing this uniquely feminine role of giving birth. It's an opportunity for a man to step into this uniquely masculine role of provider and protector. Yes, I totally agree. You know, one of the things I like to do as a doula, I try to make sure that the, that the father is as, is as involved as the mother and he wants to be. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'd never want to overstep my boundaries and nobody in the room should be overstepping, you know, that, that relationship between husband and wife. And um, yeah, I, one of the jobs that, that is, really good for husbands to do is being that protector of, of her space in the, in the, whether it's a hospital or wherever you are for your birth, mm -hmm. just kind of advocating for his wife. Cause even a doula can't do that. And a doula can't step in and say, you know, what she really wanted was this, but a dad can, can kind of be that voice for her. Um, right. And, and with, cause she's vulnerable, like you said, it's a really vulnerable time. And to have a dad step up and, and speak up and, and protect his wife in that way is really beautiful and it builds marriages. It really does strengthen mm -hmm. that relationship too. Yeah. Okay. Well, one last thing I want to mention uh, before we run out of time here is the idea of pain medication. This is such a complicated one for so many women, whether or not to receive pain medication or to, or what it means to have a natural birth and earn that badge of getting the natural birth or whatever it is. Like we have all these complicated emotions about this. So I thought maybe because I, I know from reading your book that you have a real kind of voice of wisdom and a breadth of experience here. Um, what might you say to like a young woman who's newly pregnant? or researching her options, who feels conflicted about all of these different decisions. Um, what, what, what wisdom could you offer her in that situation? Hmm. It is. You're right. It's a very tough topic to address because it's very sensitive for, mm -hmm. um, for lots of reasons. Um, I think the biggest thing is that you should be informed of, of what your options are, number one, and what the risks and benefits are to each option. Because a big problem we do have the the choice for pain medication is is valid mm -hmm. for for women to choose during a birth but a big problem we do have is that a lot of women don't understand that there are significant risks that can come from choosing those mm -hmm. so part of recognizing the di the dignity of every woman and baby is is helping them 
before birth, hopefully, because when you're in birth, you're, you're not going to be thinking clearly. Yes. Um, before birth, educating yourself through books or birth classes on what those risks are to you and your baby. And um, knowing that you're making an informed decision is part of good ethical medical practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge part. And I, I go through that in the book, some of the risks and benefits of different options that you have for medication and why you might want to choose that or why, why you might not want to. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely a complicated situation, but it, and we have to remember that it does matter. Um, it might not matter from a moral perspective, but, but from a, um, just from a physical perspective and an ethical perspective, we have to make sure women are making educated decisions. And, and it's just like with so many things, you know, the use of medicine is a tool and it can be used well, or it can be used not very well. So, um, it should be used, you know, with full consent and full, um, understanding of the risks and benefits and, and appropriately in each situation and safely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot in the book about, about that and and how a woman can kind of walk through those, walk through those choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really, I found that the book was really, um, you know, like I said, it was comprehensive, but also just very respectful of, you know, different readers experiences because a woman can come at that with any kind of a background or experience. And the, the last thing that you want to be doing is to be beating up a woman for choices that she made in, um, in the past or ones that she's considering making for the future. And especially with regard to something as intimate and personal as childbirth, I felt like you, you, you adopted just the right tone in addressing women and just giving them their options, telling them the truth about um, what their options are and why it might be a good thing, why it might be a bad thing. Yeah. You'll definitely get different perspectives leaning very hard one way or the other in the birth world. And, mm-hmm. and I've even seen women given, you know, misinformation while they're in labor about, you know, the effects of medication, like, and it's, that's not fair. A woman no. deserves to know the truth about her body and about how this might affect her baby, you know, and this might affect her birth. And, right. and she could say yes or no to that when she has the facts, but but yeah, but we need to give women, we need to respect women enough to give them good information so that they can make those choices that are best for them in their whatever unique situation that they happen to be in. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that truth that we want all women to have access to, one last thing, um, what is something that you, you think our, our culture tends to get wrong about childbirth? You know, for, you know, something that's <laughs> something that, you know, puts pressure on women that isn't necessary or um, some misinformation that's commonly accepted. Like, what is one thing that you want to correct? Oh, geez. <laughs> All right. Maybe some things. <laughs> uh, um, uh, one thing is just that like the childbirth has to be terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, every, like every show you see, every portrayal in the media is like that birth, you know, the woman's water breaks in some embarrassing place. And then she's immediately pushing a baby out and screaming. And it's, it's almost never really like, <laughs> so, but I can't tell you how many times I've had to like assure fathers and, and first time mothers mm-hmm. that like that is most likely 99.999% not going to happen to you. Right. You know, birth doesn't, doesn't happen like that. Especially we wish, for a we wish it was that fast, have, you know? <laughs> I know. I, yeah. They're all worried. They're going to have their baby in the car and, you know, like uh-huh. but for a first time mom, that's probably not going to happen. Right. Um, so yeah, the birth has to be something scary or something like embarrassing or, mm-hmm. or gross. Or I, I hate that idea that, um, that birth has to be something shameful or, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's something I would like to correct. And just this idea that our bodies are broken. I think we, um, in our culture, we learn as women from our earliest ages that, 
that our bodies, our fertility is a disease that we're supposed to treat, that, you know, having babies is, you know, we're, is, is not a good thing. That's something we're supposed to always be thinking about preventing until it's like the perfect number, the perfect spacing, the perfect timing. Right. Um, and, but, and that seeps into our idea of birth, that this idea that our fertility is broken. And if that's broken, if my body is not, you know, my fertility is a disease that I'm supposed to be treating with medication, then, then, then the act of birth, I think that seeps into how we approach birth, um, thinking that our bodies just don't work right. And I think for Catholic women or any woman that we need to do a lot before a birth to kind of overcome that, that idea that our bodies are, are broken and, um, and not going to work right. Cause for the vast majority of women that they would be able to birth just fine on their own. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's something I, I approach a lot in the birth, in the book, just to how our view of our bodies can be so distorted and that can be brought into the birth experience of a woman and trying to heal that and work on that before a birth occurs right. is, is really important. Right. Well, that's beautifully said and beautifully written in the book by Mary Hazeltine, The Catholic Mom's Guide to Birth, which is available from our Sunday visitor. Sorry, the title of the book is made for this. That's the subtitle, The Catholic Mom's Guide to Birth from our Sunday visitor. And you can find out more about Mary. You can find out more about the book, more about her work at betterthaneden.com. We'll have that linked up in the show notes um, in that are accompanying every episode of the Girlfriends podcast. So you can check out more about Mary and all that she is doing. Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And thank you for this, the gift of this book that I know took a lot out of you, but birthing it was worthwhile. It was. Yes. Thank you so much, Danielle. I really, it was really fun to be here. Many thanks to Mary Hazeltine for taking the time to talk with us here at Girlfriends. I hope you appreciated what she had to share. I hope you will check out her book on Amazon or at our Sunday visitor. Again, it's called Made for This. It's really a great title and a great topic that we should all be talking about more. So check it out. If you have feedback on my conversation with Mary, if you want to share your own birth story, if you want to share ways in which you've changed your perspective or ways in which your faith has enhanced your understanding of the birth experience as a Catholic woman, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to share your feedback on a future episode of Girlfriends. You can email me, Danielle, at DanielleBean.com. You can always leave a comment on the show notes or you can leave me a boxer. There are always uh, links to connect with me on boxer in the show notes for every episode of the girlfriends podcast. And then finally, easy to do. You can just record your own voice on your phone and email it to me. I would love to have your voice to add to our community of girlfriends in an upcoming show. I want to be sure to thank Ascension for partnering with me to bring you this podcast. If you're not familiar with Ascension, what are you waiting for? Get over to ascensionpress.com. They're the leaders in Catholic faith formation. All kinds of resources for your parish, for your community, for your uh, women's group, for you individually, for your teenagers, for your marriage. There's free resources available at ascensionpress.com. You can find video content, audio content, podcasts like Girlfriends and more, Father Mike Schmitz, Jeff Cavins, all of your favorites are available there. So check it out at ascensionpress.com. 
And then I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for all the ways you support the show. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your reviews. I know I got some last week after asking for some iTunes reviews. It means so much and it's truly helpful in getting the word out about girlfriends or even just sharing a link on Facebook. I appreciate the ways in which you support and encourage what I'm doing here. But most of all, I appreciate you just being here, just being a part of this community listening and showing up week after week to hear what we have to share here at Girlfriends. That's so very valuable and so encouraging to me. So thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. Mm -hmm.